You're listening to Season 1, Episode 24 of Diferente. Before we get to the episode, I want to share four things with you. Just cuatro. Number one, some of you asked what was on our Dia de los Muertos ofrenda. So let me tell you. So on our ofrenda, we had pictures of Doug's mom. We had a photo of my grandparents dancing. We also had a picture of my other grandfather, my mom's dad, who I never actually got to meet. And a picture of my brother-in-law, Eddie, who passed away way too young. Also, because we have a guest with us right now, we had a photo of our friend Christian's grandfather, who also passed away this year. You might remember Christian from a recent episode, which was 114, Lessons Not Losses, How to Persevere Through Adversity. I highly suggest that if you haven't listened to that episode, you go back and listen to that one. He has a great story to share. So that's what we had on our ofrenda. We also had some snacks. We had gancitos which are a Mexican snack. And if you've never had them, I highly suggest that you run over to your nearest Mexican grocery store or in some cases, just any grocery store and buy some because you might be missing out. Christian put some golf balls on there. Doug had a wine that his mom really enjoyed, which was also enjoyed by us. And the three of us watched Coco. If you haven't watched that movie, it's actually very good. It was well done. Good job, Disney. I'm not mad at you for that one. All right, so number two, I have a popular question that I get almost every year, and this time I wanted to answer it on the podcast. People always ask if we think it's disrespectful for people of other cultures to celebrate the Dia de los Muertos tradition. And I don't think it's disrespectful when people take the time to learn the history and the spiritual meaning behind it. However, I'm not going to go there today because we don't have enough time, but I do think it's disrespectful when people mock cultural traditions. So. That's just a note for later. Number three, it's important to remember that there is a big difference between opinions and reality. I wanted to share that with you because I read an article this week that made me think that sometimes people read articles, books, or maybe listen to podcasts like this one, and they take what they hear as a fact. Don't forget that what you're hearing and reading and watching most of the time is based on an opinion. So always try to do your research. That's why I created this podcast, because while we are all allowed to have an opinion, I believe that we have a responsibility to get out and experience things outside of our bubble, outside of our communities and our privilege in order to understand what other people are actually going through. So that's just my quick little um, word of advice (laughs) for the week. And number four, I told you there were four points. I never said I would be quick. The number four, numero cuatro, I am not afraid anymore. I wanted to say that out loud since you probably noticed that I posted those words on social media. So if you did see it, I wanted to say it out loud. And I also want you to say it with me. Come on, don't be scared. I am not afraid anymore. Say it. Say it to yourself. Say it to the world. And If you are brave enough, please comment on our social media pages, either on Instagram or Facebook, and let us know why you're not afraid anymore and what brings you courage. I am sharing my own story, as you probably noticed, on social media also. (laughs) You see, there's a theme here. The links are all in the show description or on our website at diferentepodcast.com. Catch me if you can. No time to be wasted. 
I'ma get there as fast as I can You'll see me with the horses riding My guest this episode is Cheyenne Woods. You might know her as the sixth African-American woman to play on the LPGA Tour, who truly represents the wonderful things women can bring to this world through sport, healthy competition, and of course, drive. You probably also recognize her from her latest Nike commercial or her partnership with Volunteers of America or the thing that every reporter has asked her about, being the niece of Tiger Woods. This episode is not about any of those things. Though, of course, her golf career comes up as it is a significant part of her life journey and who she is. But this woman is so much more than golf. So in this episode, we talk about how it's important to connect with people and build genuine human relationships as we grow. How sometimes we have to get uncomfortable to figure out who we really are and focus on our personal success versus the expectations of others. Plus, dating, equal pay, and standing for something greater than ourselves. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Cheyenne, welcome to Diferente. It is such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Okay, so let's start with who you are. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised. And I went to school in North Carolina, Wake Forest. And now I'm back home in Phoenix. And I think I will be here for quite some time. I love it here. What's so special about Phoenix? Because I've actually never been there. Oh, you haven't? You have to come. I just, so I grew up in Phoenix. So I'm somewhat biased to how much I enjoy it. But the weather for one is amazing, especially this time of year. For me, I travel so much throughout the year that Phoenix is just such a nice sanctuary for me to come back and be able to relax. I enjoy hiking and being outdoors, and there's so much of that here in Arizona. So for me, it's just a great blend of lifestyle and being able to relax and having my family and friends around. So it's uh, one of my favorite places to be. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check it out soon. We've been talking about making a trip out to Arizona, but you're definitely selling it. So (laughs) maybe in the next few months. Definitely. What is your favorite childhood memory? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I would have to say, I think growing up, my best memories are always just being around family, you know, holidays and everyone coming together. Those are some of the things that I'll always cherish. And I think as you grow up, you really value that a lot more. And so I think growing up, I just always loved, you know, the Christmases and the Thanksgivings and the fun times with cousins and the stories that are being told. Those are my best memories. I have a similar perspective. I think my best memories always go back to spending time with family. I have a very big family in Mexico, so I would agree that the best times are always with your cousins running around or just, you know, just kind of like hanging, not even doing anything in particular that was too special. Always. And too, with, um, I think with, as you get older and families start to separate a bit in terms of moving and going to different cities, 
you know, when you're young, you have those great memories of just always being around family for a good amount of time. So those are always the the best. Yeah. How would your best friends describe you? Oh, I would say they would describe me as very laid back. I tend to be very optimistic and try to be positive. So they used to make fun of me for it, but I think it's it's a good thing to be very kind and determined and uh, very focused. What's your biggest focus on? Is it golf specifically? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I've played golf since I was five years old. And my friends will be the first to tell you ever since I started playing, I just knew that I wanted to play professionally and that I was going to play professionally. And that has been my main focus growing up. And even now, just being the best golfer that I can be. Um, And every day kind of just working towards that and every day in my life, just trying to revolve myself around things that will make me a better person and also a better golfer. That's a really good point that you bring up that you have always wanted to be a professional athlete because I was going to ask you that next. Have you always wanted to be a professional athlete? But so was there never a time where you maybe dreamt of doing anything other than being a professional athlete? Um, golf was always my thing. I don't know what it was about it. I played a lot of sports growing up. My parents were great about me being well-rounded and trying everything out, but golf was the one that really stuck. I loved watching it on TV. I loved going and watching the women play out here in Phoenix. And I I played competitively since I was eight years old. And um, it's one of those things that was always, I guess, in my heart that I just knew. I knew that this was where I was going to be. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, you know, as an eight or nine-year-old to know that that's what you want. But it was the vision of my life that I had always seen. And I always saw that path of how to get there. And I think that's really what kept me driven and and motivated to keep pushing and going no matter what kind of crossed my path. So no plan B then. You were all in. I was all in. And I don't think that I really thought about a plan B until I went to college. And, um, you know, I had to choose something to study and had to figure out what other interests I had. And I loved media. I think with being an athlete, you interact with the media quite a bit. So I studied communications. And that's when I kind of grew an interest in broadcast journalism and TV. So now today, if I were to have a plan B, it would probably be something TV related. I really enjoy that. So that would probably be it. Yeah, it's not a bad plan B at all. (laughs) I wish I had the plan B of being a professional athlete. (laughs) (laughs) It's never too late. (laughs) Ah, girl, please. (laughs) I can barely catch. So, but I am getting better at golf. I will say that it's slowly, but surely. Okay, let me take it back a little bit. What is your least favorite childhood memory? This is really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Take your time. We're not under pressure. (laughs) That's actually a question that most people don't ask. That's why we're diferente over here. (laughs) Yeah, I see that now. I think one of my least favorite childhood memories, as much as I do love golf and I was so committed and, you know, determined, it did take me away from some childhood activities that at the time I was probably, I didn't quite understand. And at the time, you know, those are sacrifices that you make in, in being an athlete is that you don't always get to experience all of the childhood things that some others do. So I think that's some of the negative maybe memories that I have of having to make those sacrifices at a young age and and playing golf and being focused on the long-term thing that I love to do and saw myself doing. 
So you were having to make those sacrifices because you were traveling a lot and maybe spending a lot of time practicing. So you didn't have a lot of time to be social. Right. Yeah. So the social aspect of growing up and being around friends, I'm really happy that my parents allowed me to have a normal childhood. But with playing a sport, even at a young age, you know, I wanted to be the best I could be. And so that did take practicing and traveling throughout the summers and spending my birthday, you know, maybe not at home all the time. But I think that's definitely some of the stuff that it takes in order to to get to where you want to be and to be the best that you can. What did you tell yourself during those times when it was hard to make those sacrifices? I would say that, I, like I was saying before, I always had that vision in my head of what I wanted to do. And, you know, and having those role models on TV of playing professional golf. And I knew that this is what I needed to do in order to get to the next step. And for me, the next step would maybe be high school golf or college golf and professional golf. And so even at a young age, I understood that it takes hard work and it takes commitment. And that was something that I just was so determined to do that I was able to see both sides. Did the people around you always understand that or did you have to kind of lose some people along the way? Yeah, you definitely grow apart from some people in terms of where your life paths are going or in terms of what you prioritize. I think it's really helpful to, in all phases of your life, to surround yourself with people that are going to make you better, that will challenge you and keep you focused on the positive things and what you should be doing. And because of that, did you have specific people in your life that were the most influential when it came to your decision of going pro? Yeah, uh, definitely my family, because they've you know been there the entire time, always super supportive of my career and what I'm doing through the good and the bad. And then my best friends who you know, most of my best friends I've known since elementary school. I have a very tight circle of girls that I'm close with. And they too have seen the journey of what it's taken to get to where I am today. And so I think it's really important to have that support system because it's not always easy, whether it's a decision you have to make, or maybe it's a rough patch that you're going through, but to have a support system that has been there through it all and knows you as a person and believes in you, I think is so, so important. And so when I was making the decision to turn professional, they were so enthusiastic and supportive. And, you know, it was just an exciting time. So we know you're doing really well in your career now. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I want to kind of stay into the topic a little bit more on those friendships and relationships that you build as you're growing up. I feel like when you're younger, it's easier to make real or genuine connections with people because you don't necessarily have a lot to offer them in the superficial sense. Right. So it's easier to connect with people. You have more in common with them and you're more genuine in your relationships. And sometimes they're more genuine with you. As a grown up, I think it's harder to establish those relationships. So what have you learned about friendship? as you've grown up and as you've become a professional athlete that is recognized around the world? I've definitely learned to value those genuine friendships that you're able to create. Because like you said, the older you do get, it is difficult to create those relationships and those connections. I think with just lifestyles, especially with myself and traveling so much and not knowing people's true intentions. But as a child and growing up, you know, you're around people with a lot of like interests. It's very pure and very genuine. And I think that is why a lot of my friends that I have are from childhood. It's so special to be able to build that trust and to build that connection. And they're like my sisters, they're family. 
And so, you know, the older I've gotten and the more people I've been around, you definitely value those relationships. And I'm super thankful to have them because like I'm an introvert and I'm, I used to be super shy. And so it's always been pretty difficult for me to make good friendships like that. And so I'm really lucky to be able to have my childhood friends and to be able to have those relationships that have lasted for so long. Yeah. And it's like you have to almost learn to be able to make discerning decisions about who to keep in your life and how to be able to tell what people's intentions are. I mean, is that, do you find that it's made you maybe jaded as you become more well known in the sport? Or do you find that you have maintained your genuine sense of just being open to receiving new friends? I would say I've, I've definitely learned. And changed a bit in the last six years since turning professional and just being a little bit more in the public eye and being around a lot of people. I used to be very open to meeting people and having conversations. And I guess it was a little too open. And I'm the type of person I always try to see the best in people. And sometimes people aren't always the best. So I've definitely learned to be a bit more guarded. And that is why, too, I still have my tight close circle of friends and support system because it is difficult when you're in this position to really know people's intentions and trust them and to be able to open up to them even with the relationship as professional as my caddy I take that very seriously and who I'm bringing into my team because that is someone that I work with every day I need to be able to be open with them and communicate with them and I need them to be somebody that I trust so I'm not the type of person to hire a new caddy every other week. If you're my caddy, we're going to be working for a good amount of time. So I want to make sure you're professional. Uh, we work well together and I can trust you because I really value those those close, intimate relationships because I think it's very personal and um, you can't just let everybody in like that. And definitely don't date your caddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> You would be surprised. You would be surprised. I forget who wrote it, but a couple of years ago, I read an article from a professional golfer. I think it was a professional golfer who dated her caddy. And she wrote this whole piece about how do not do that. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen the good and I've seen the bad with uh, those caddy relationships. So I don't know if that's something. Actually, I know that that's not something I'd be interested in. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll keep those separate. It's a good thing you know that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean for your, you know, since we're talking about it, what does that mean for your love life? Is it hard dating on the road? Like, how do you make those decisions when you are maybe thinking about going out with someone? Are you dating someone? No, I'm not currently dating anybody. And it's strange. Dating is strange, especially in today's world with, you know, the dating apps and everything online, especially too with the lifestyle that we live as professional golfers or athletes in general, just traveling nonstop. It's very difficult to even meet somebody. And I think that is why you see girls date caddies because you see them every week. And so it makes it a bit more convenient. But I think one with the lifestyle, two with being in the public eye, you have to be careful with, again, who you're going out with and letting in and So I've found it difficult. I talk to my friends about it all the time. And it's just like, how do you even meet somebody? It's very interesting. Like, it seems like such a a simple thing. But, you know, and and two, it's special to have that connection. So it is something difficult to find. Well, I'm sure that there are many, many 
single men out there who would love to date you. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. How do you figure out who has good intentions, who doesn't? And I will tell you this, my advice, <laughs> my advice as someone who dated a lot, a lot, you honestly, it's really hard to tell even when you're not a well-known professional athlete. It's really hard to tell when people have good intentions and when, or when they have bad ones when it comes to dating. I feel like you really just have to kind of give the person a chance and get to know them a little bit. Even if it's just one date, two dates, before you can actually make that judgment, it is hard. But if you don't put yourself out there and, you know, if you don't try to at least get to know someone, you really will never know. Right. So it is kind of a toss up. There are probably a lot of frogs out there, (laughs) but I think it's worth giving it a chance. And I will say that I had really, I had a very good experience with the dating apps as well, not all of them, but one in particular. Yeah. I did meet my husband on Bumble. So yeah. And I, and I keep saying that and I really should be getting paid for that because I've (laughs) gotten so many people on that app. You need to be in a commercial. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) But no, I'm serious. Like I do feel like even though it's a little bit weird and you know, a lot of people don't like it, I do think that dating apps at least open up your world a little bit more and allow you to meet more people. However, I understand in your situation, it's a little bit weird because you, you know, you're on a a different level of recognition. So it is tough. It's definitely tricky, but don't give up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I, so I had seen that you did, I read in your podcast, listen to your podcast where you did 30 days, 30 dates. Yes. And I feel like that is something that is, because I have a few friends who um, are a little scared to date. But I feel like it is important to get to date and get to know not only yourself, but know what you want, what you don't want. You get comfortable in being in those positions. So you're right. Yeah, you got to just keep putting yourself out there. Absolutely. And I highly recommend it for anyone who is, you know, scared of dating or don't doesn't want to try it. Sometimes going on several dates in a row really helps <laughs> kind of break <laughs> your your fear of dating and it did it for me it really did help so I'm an advocate for women dating and dating a lot because you do get to know yourself and you get to know other people and it's fun to learn more about what you want and what you don't want but also like you know you have to be careful that's that's for sure yeah but I think that we're in the age where you should be dating and you should be dating a lot and there's nothing wrong with that don't let society tell you otherwise yeah (laughs) you're right you're right you yeah i'm talking to you what are you doing with this podcast are you sharing it with your friends because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought inspiring content with them like this podcast where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives here are three easy ways to share the show you can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media text it directly to anyone in your contact list or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. <laughs> let's rein it back in. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your career so far. So, okay, so you went to qualifying school in the U.S., And you had a tough go the first time. Then you went to the Ladies European Tour and you won, right? Yes. 
awesome. And then you were able to come back to the LPGA tour. Can you talk about what that experience was like for you? Just, you know, the ups and downs and what's it like to play in different parts of the world? It is very difficult. Like I said before, I had been wanting to play professional golf since I was young. And, you know, you always have this vision in your head of how you think it's going to go. And of course, in your mind, it always goes just as planned and so smooth. So when I graduated from Wake and I turned pro and I'm ready to live this life that I've dreamed of and I go to Q school and I, you know, I don't make it through. And at that point, as a 21 year old, I'm panicking that my entire dream has come crashing down on me. But I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And for me, that reason was to go then and play for a year, year and a half in Europe. And um, like you said, that's where I had my first win. And I was able to travel to 14 or 15 different countries and experience life, you know, in an airplane and from hotel to hotel. And it was extremely difficult being away from home, being away from anything familiar. But I think it, it definitely allowed me to grow. It was a great challenge that forced me to grow as a person, as a golfer. And it really prepared me for being able to come back and, and then play at a professional level here in the States. Not only was it good for golf, but just to be able to experience different cultures and see the world and get out of my comfort zone. It was so, so great. And as unfortunate as it was to not qualify initially, it was such a good thing for me just to be able to go through that, go through the down, then go through the up and see um, how things do happen for a reason. And you have, to, you have to trust the process and just truly believe in yourself through it all. And I think that's so great that you've been able to experience different parts of the world and different cultures, different experiences, and have been able to get out of your comfort zone because it really does make you grow and it makes you understand people a lot better. I think it allows you to have more empathy and just overall understanding about humanity. I 100% agree. My favorite thing when traveling is just talking to people, just normal people, everyday people on the street or in the grocery store and learning about their life, learning everywhere you go, people have their own struggles and their own, you know, day-to-day routines. And I love just connecting with people and understanding where they come from and, you know, what they do. I think it's just so special to be able to travel the world and have those connections and have those conversations. Because like you said, it does create a better understanding for people outside of your bubble that you might live in here in the States. So you're a Woods, and I know that it's like the question that everybody's always asking you, right? (laughs) Like, oh, what's it like to be? And I don't even want to go there because I I know you get this question all the time. But I do. The reason I want to bring it up is because as someone who comes from a family that has a lot of recognition in the world of golf, Do you think that that has made things easier or more difficult for you to build your own career and your own legacy? You know, it's funny because it's a question that, I mean, I get it a lot, but it's a question that I've really been pondering recently. And just looking back at the, I guess, trajectory of my career the last six years, I would say professionally, it has made it easier to create a career for myself just because of opportunity and you know, the name says a lot. And so it's able to get, I guess, a few more eyeballs on me. But I think personally, it's made it more difficult in terms of feeling like I have my own identity or feeling as though um, I am a good enough golfer despite the name. 
So that's something that I've had to deal with the last six years of my career, just in trying to figure out that I am good enough in my own right without the attention or the name or whatever it might be. But definitely, I see it two ways with career and personal, just internally and externally, how it affects me. Do you feel like you've had to prove yourself even harder because of the name? Yeah, I think so. Just a little bit. And, you know, I can't control what, you know, expectations people might have uh, because of the name that they see. But I think just in terms of creating that, the fact that I can play, you know, and I earned my way to the LPGA and, you know, I'm still working on that first win on the LPGA. But, you know, lately I've been really just trying to focus on my own personal goals and my own personal success versus maybe the expectations of others. And I think that, you know, in society in general, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that and, and have that, that issue. But defining what success is to you and focusing on your own definition of success and what you want to do with your life. So, you know, I'm working on my first win and I'm super excited. I'm getting better every year. But yeah, a little bit of, of having to prove myself was early on in my career. And now I'm just trying to prove it to to my own self and not everybody else. And that's what matters ultimately. I mean, it's you decided to go on this path for you and nobody else. Right. And you're the one who has to be pleased in the end, not everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. You have to live with yourself every day. So might as well be happy doing it. So I feel really blessed to be able to have found that. Good. So switching gears a little bit, you are a Nike athlete. How do you feel about their stance, their current stance on social advocacy and just all the attention that they've been getting in that regard? I've been so proud to be a Nike athlete and especially this year with a lot of the ads that they've created and have been running on TV and online um, from Colin Kaepernick to Serena Williams. It's really inspiring in today's day and age to be able to take a stance like that in that type of market as well. It's inspiring and it makes me really proud and it inspires me to to continue to have a voice when so many times, especially as a public figure, you're kind of shamed to have a voice. Like, how dare you have an opinion about something? A lot of people say, you know, you're an athlete. Just do what you do. Just be an athlete. Shut up. Yeah, shut up and dribble, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've absolutely loved what Nike's been doing. And it's it's nice to show as well that athletes are more than just their sport. and. Lately, I've been following what LeBron James has been doing and the voice he's created outside of basketball is just so inspiring. He's been a great role model for so many athletes. So I think it's an exciting time for athletes to finally find the voice and be able to have opinions and have impact on the community. I agree. Why not? I mean, they have a platform, so why not use it to make our communities better? to have better conversations, to learn from each other. How did the quote impact you? The quote from Colin Kaepernick, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Did that impact you in any way? Yeah, I thought it was very powerful. Of course, it created a bit of backlash, but I thought it was very powerful in a sense that you have to stand up for something in life. And the fact that he was able to put a lot on the line to have a voice about something that he felt passionate about like I said before, it's just super inspiring as an athlete to be able to see that. And, you know, lately I've been trying to have a bit more of a voice as well, just with things that I feel passionate about and injustices or, you know, things I see in the world that that affect me and the people around me, even if it's not me personally. You know, everyone is a person and, and deserves equality. So that quote was very powerful. 
Yeah, I feel the same way. It, I got goosebumps when I saw the ad for the first time. Yes, yes. It was just, it's inspiring. And I, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about it for a long time and we're not going to <laughs> this time, but I really do agree that it's nice to be able to have those conversations and it's nice to see people who have platforms doing something good with their time, doing something good with their voices. Exactly. So as the sixth African-American woman to ever earn a LPGA tour card, what do you think is the most valuable impact women of color have on golf? I would say continuing the belief of what's possible and breaking down those barriers in a sport that hasn't always been as welcoming to everybody. You know, even in today's day and age, there's still golf courses that are men only. There's still golf courses that have no black members. And so as a, an African-American woman, I think it's important to create that image that we are out here playing golf and it is something that we can do. I love talking to young girls and encouraging them to play golf. Um, I knew when I was young, there weren't a lot of black girls on tour, if any, at the time. And golf wasn't cool, but we had Tiger Woods to look at. And he showed us what was possible. He showed us that, okay, we can go and play golf and it's fun and it's cool. And, you know, as a woman and as a girl, I think it's so important to have that representation. And so I think that's a huge part of what we can do in golf is just continue that representation and show that golf is creating opportunities. It's creating experiences. And you can learn so much about yourself and about life and, and have fun while doing it. And also just representing what our culture actually looks like in golf. I think it's very meaningful and it's empowering to a lot of women, not just women of color. I think a lot of women in general. And what you said earlier about the fact that there are still male-only golf clubs and things like that. I mean, it, I always cringe when I read the winnings that are offered at LPGA tours or LPGA tournaments compared to the ones offered on, on the PGA tour. Like, <laughs> can you please enlighten those who are not aware of the huge <laughs> financial discrepancy that exists between what a female golfer can earn on the LPGA tour and a male golfer earns on a PGA tour? It's scary. It's very scary to look at those numbers. So, okay, for those who don't know, the LPGA, we earn... Anywhere from two hundred to five hundred thousand. Five hundred is, you know, that's big money for us. Uh, if you win a tournament, uh, whereas on the men's tour they're making over a million for a win easily every week. Um, I think they even have an event, the U.S. Open. I think is at least two million. So, you know, when you look at those numbers. It's a little disheartening. It's a little overwhelming to see. I mean, we have made huge progress in the women's game in terms of creating a full schedule and gaining sponsors and really growing the tour globally. But I think there is a lot that we can do to improve the, the money and the earnings. And, you know, a huge role model and inspiration to me is Venus and Serena Williams. And you see what they've been able to do on the tennis side to create equal money and equal pay. Yeah. And, some people would argue, well, it has to do with attendance at the tournaments and, you know, eyeballs on each tournament. There, you know, more people are watching male sports than female sports. I don't know. I mean, do you think that's why that discrepancy exists? I understand it uh, from a business side. But even, for example, I feel like a great opportunity to showcase equality in pay would be 
the USGA events like the US Open and the US Women's Open. We had a few years ago, the event was hosted at the same golf course, back to back weeks, same organization running the event. You know, obviously they have separate TV contracts and sponsor contracts, but I feel like it would have been a great opportunity to at least embrace and highlight the effort of creating equality in pay. When you're playing on the same platform, in the same city, the same golf course, why is there still over a million dollars difference in what you're earning? So I think that events like that where we can showcase women and men on the same platform, whether it be a TV format, like a special format of earning the same, I think that will help grow the game, get those eyeballs on the women's side, create more fans, and that way that can't be an excuse anymore. Do you feel that you have a responsibility to be a role model? Not just because you're a you know professional athlete, but as a woman. Yeah, I think so. I try to be a role model, not only as a professional golfer, but even just within my family or my community, you know, the schools I've gone to, you know, I'm proud to go to Wake Forest and hopefully be a role model for those girls. So I do, I am conscious of that and just trying to leave a better imprint than there was prior. You know, I always try to talk to elementary school kids or go back to my high school and just share life experiences and It's not always pretty. It's not always great. But if you can be real and share the ups and the downs, hopefully people can relate and see what's possible. Just like when I was watching Tiger Woods growing up, I was able to see what was possible. And so I think it is important to at least be a positive figure. And especially there's so much negativity that happens in today's society and world. It's so good to just try to be a light and um, try to continue to spread good things. Is that part of the reason why you became involved with the uh, Volunteers of America? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And any chance I have to be involved with a charity, I, I try to. With Volunteers of America, they do such a great job of giving resources to those who need them within the community, whether they be an addict or they're homeless or they've been abused or they have lack of education. And so when you can just help people and see them as people, I think it's really special. And early in my career, I was able to go and help out with a charity called Golf for Africa, where I went to Zambia. And um, through my Twitter and Instagram followers, believe it or not, we raised $15,000 to create a water well that is in Zambia. And they use it every day to get their water. And I was able to go and meet the villagers. And I think when you're able to see and connect with these people, And you look in their eyes and see they live these lives every day and they're people just like us. And so when you can help, you have to help. And so that's something that's really close to my heart, just to be able to have the platform and take those opportunities when when I can. And having a platform is so important to be able to not only you know, express what you're interested in and what you're passionate about, but also being able to make change happen. I think a lot of the things that are the positive things that we're seeing in our society right now are because people have taken to their platforms and they've also made sacrifices in their own careers to speak out for those who are suffering injustices and things like that. So it's not easy to be a person in your position who does have a platform and who does have the power to impact many, many people. Right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. And I think you see that, especially if you, if you go back in history, like a Muhammad Ali, who at the time 
was taking a stance and sacrificing so much and had a lot of backlash and a lot of controversy surrounding him. And now you look back and he is a huge figure in history and the change he was able to to make. So I think, you know, when you're in the mix of it, it's always difficult, but you have to see long term the impact you're making and and that it's worth it's worth the struggle and it's worth the sacrifice. Yeah. What what is the biggest sacrifice you've had to make in pursuit of your goals? Um, that's tough. Probably time with family and friends. As much as we travel, you're on the road so much that I don't get a lot of time with my family and friends. And, you know, I have a, a nephew who's eight years old now, and I really value being able to spend time, especially with the babies and watching them grow up and creating those memories like we talked about earlier. But as a professional athlete, I do spend a lot of my holidays on the road. I spend a lot of my time in hotels. And, um, you know, I am doing what I love and I'm creating an impact and hopefully inspiring some other little girl. But it gets lonely on the road. But, you know, that's what FaceTime is for. And um, so I try to do that whenever I can. Yeah. Thank God for technology. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say to someone who maybe feels like giving up? Because I know that being a professional athlete, must be incredibly difficult. I mean, I don't know because I've never been one, but I know from knowing people that it's incredibly difficult. It is a sacrifice. And sometimes, you know, people feel like giving up. I'm sure you've had those moments, but there are many people out there who are not necessarily wanting to be professional athletes, but they just have those moments where they want to give up, where they feel like they're not good enough. Especially, I think it happens to a lot of us women. What would you say to someone who is in that position, who feels like giving up? I would have to ask them where their belief is in themselves because I feel like in whatever you do in life, if you believe that you can do it, you 100% can. And so if you have any little bit of that still left in you, you just have to trust the process of whatever struggle you might be going through. I feel like what's put in your heart is there for a reason. And if it's still there, if you have that fire, if you have that little bit of belief still there in your heart, you have to keep pushing towards it. Because especially with what I do, um, there is somewhat of a a time limit of what I can achieve and when I can achieve it. And so I I want to try to explore and push and do everything I can to to feed that belief that I have in myself and achieve what, you know, I've always envisioned. So I've definitely had, you know, those really hard times where I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I don't know if this is really what I want to do, you know, and doubting yourself if you're good enough or if this is your purpose. But I really believe in following your heart and what your passion and what that fire, whatever that is that burns inside of you and following that and listening to it, because that is what the purpose of your journey is. Everyone's journey is so different, but you have to just listen to yours and it will take you through some things that you're meant to go through. And once you get to the other side, you'll fully understand. But it's a matter of of pushing and getting through that to finish your story and and see what your journey is. It's also, I feel like um, a little bit of a matter of having the confidence to keep pushing through. What gives you confidence? 
The thing that gives me confidence would be the belief in myself, like I said before, and just it's something that I guess has been ingrained in me from a young age of what I just, I knew, I just, I knew that this was the life that I wanted and that I could achieve. You know, you definitely have your moments of doubting yourself and and lacking confidence, but you sometimes you have to create that confidence within yourself and just remind yourself that I can do this, that this is you know, what I was born to do and what I love to do. And so my confidence definitely just comes from internally of believing in myself and just trusting that vision that I have in my head. Yeah. Do people ever say to you, well, that's easy for you to say, (laughs) you know, you have all this opportunity, you have this access. How do you respond to that? Do you feel like you grew up privileged? Um, I believe I grew up privileged in a sense of opportunity, strictly because of my last name. But I do come from a middle to low income household where we didn't have a lot. I wasn't able to play in every golf tournament to, you know, earn a scholarship. I wouldn't have been able to afford college if it weren't for golf. But thankfully, and I truly believe if it wasn't for Tiger or for my grandfather who got me started, I don't think I would be where I am today because golf is super expensive. And so in that sense, I'm forever grateful that I had those opportunities. And so I definitely understand people who are having difficulty in that sense of the opportunity, because you it's so competitive and you really have to fight for those moments of being able to play in certain tournaments or being able to travel. So I, I definitely, I guess in that sense, I was a bit privileged, but I also had to work my butt off too to make up for those opportunities and make them worth something. You're right. Privilege is one thing, but also talent is another thing and hard work is something else completely different too. Yeah. So you kind of have to have a little bit of all to be able to get to where you want to be. So I have two more questions for you. You already know what they are because you've been listening to the <laughs> Fidenze. Okay. What is your passion and how do you define success? My passion is golf. It's something that's always been in my heart since I was young. But I think that my true passion through golf is to help people, whether that be through charities or through connecting with young people and sharing with them opportunities that golf has helped me provide or has provided for me. That is what my true passion is. And and golf is sort of a vehicle for me to do that. That's what really gets me excited. Like right now I'm planning a girls clinic for early next year and it'll be my first event, my first clinic, but I just want to help girls feel connected with the game and feel empowered and um, feel like they have opportunities. And then the second question of what you said, defining success. Yeah. How do you define success? Um, I would define success as doing what makes you happy, which sounds really simple, but uh, a lot of people aren't able to do that. A lot of people get comfortable in, you know, the everyday routine, but to really follow your heart and do what makes you happy, whether it makes you a lot of money or not, I think that that's true success. If you enjoyed this conversation with Cheyenne Woods and you're wondering how you can share Diferente with other people, you can send them a link to the show or this episode directly from the application you're listening on. They all have this option. Or you can tell people to visit our website, diferentepodcast.com. And remember, I love reading your reviews. It helps me understand the impact that Diferente is having in your life. 
And it also inspires me to create more of what you want to hear. These reviews also help Diferente get discovered by new listeners. So please keep them coming. If you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, press pause right now before you forget and click on those five stars to write a review. This episode is produced with a whole lot of passion by yours truly, su servidora, our editor, Mauricio Mosso, and music by Keegan Stromberg. I'm Maribel Quesada-Smith. Muchas gracias. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at A Diferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.